You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. What's up, Vadim? <laughs> oh, you meant... <laughs> I totally, totally failed yes. at that. Here, let's well try done. that again. Well okay. Uh, let's, uh, oh, let's, reset. let's reset. Take five. Okay. Yeah, we got this. We got this. Welcome once again to another exciting episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Hall with DreamLoud Studio, here with my co-host. Vadim from Calm Frog Recording, and I, I wish you wouldn't have oversold our episode like that. Another... What did you say? Highly exciting episode? I can't promise I don't think I that. I said highly. Okay. <laughs> I just said exciting. Just plain exciting. Just regular old boring exciting. Okay. Yes. Regular boring exciting. I think we got that. I mean, but our listeners, they get excited about the same things we get excited about as well. Yeah. Namely our, compressors, gear, plugins. Our 25 <laughs> listeners. Yes, I'm sure you're right. <laughs> I'm sure they're excited about the same things we're excited about. So yeah, I, I often wonder about that. I'm like, what? It, I listen to other podcasts on audio, and I'm like, what are we doing? We we get we get so far into the weeds, and we're just like yeah. listening to guitar DIs day and night. Like, <laughs> do people do people want to hear this? Hey, what are the quality people content? I, I don't there, know. Though. I can't tell. Guys, we need you to intervene. Please comment right now on the Facebook group and and tell Vadim that this is what you want to hear. <laughs> and if it's what you don't if it's what you don't want to hear then just shut up no i'm just kidding no we want to hear <laughs> we want to hear what you guys want to hear too so maybe if you're um if we have not covered a topic that you guys are interested in and need us to cover why don't you leave a comment leave a comment below or reach out to us ben at diyrecordingguys.com or vadim at diyrecordingguys.com or join our facebook community it's a great place yeah, that's great, actually, because I, I think what would be cool is if we collected a bunch of like questions and topics and then did an episode where we just answered questions and topics. Yeah. And we used to do those mm -hmm. live streams, which we haven't done in a while, but that would be fun. So, yeah, definitely send us your questions. And um, again, we only have 25 listeners. So if you send us a question, it's almost <laughs> guaranteed that's the, to get yeah, that's answered live not live but on an episode like what other podcast can guarantee that you will get your your, <laughs> your question answered this is like watching the red hot chili peppers play at the whiskey a go-go for Ooh. like a five dollar cover good analogy you guys are in here with us actually this is like <laughs> going to see them for free because we are not charging you anything to listen to us <laughs> so yeah take advantage take advantage right. of our expertise and yeah we'll answer your questions yes. what's been going on with you vadim yeah, man, it's it's been busy. It's been busy. I'm working on a very cool album right now with an artist from Jordan. It's an awesome oh. guitar player. His name is Faraz. And man, it's awesome. I love working on uh, on music like this because he's, uh, he, other than just having great shred chops, like just a lot of notes, he's also <laughs> arranging really cool tracks that are like really kind of tastefully arranged so we've been working on some production there and i'm doing the mixing and mastering for it as well what about you what's been new with you so the thing i've been most excited about recently is working on my own band's material in the fell oh yeah yeah they've given they've given me a chance to do a demo mix of this uh new song that we've been working on and similarly as to your project you're working on very technical a lot of notes it's complicated stuff so it's just fun to simultaneously like work with good musicians and have myself get pushed too because it's not it's not easy stuff to organize or or put together like i was flying as fast as i could and it still took me a whole day to like get through just one mix putting it together so it's fun That's not it's bad. fun stuff yeah well thanks appreciate that you know i'm fl i'm flying going trying to go as fast as i can and when you get some of these big projects, sometimes it just takes half of that time is just organizing everything, choosing tones, making sure everything sounds good. Yeah, I, I find the same exact thing actually that, you know, it's possible to do a mix in a day if everything is already laid out and amped and the tones are all there and the production is square. But if you have to get into editing and choosing tones 
and the production needs a little bit more spice and you have to pick a choose a couple of things yeah. that takes time and oh, it can take a lot of time yeah it does and i always wonder you know is it just like am i slow do i am i working slow or am i just really taking the time and giving this song what it needs and um certainly i'm always trying to get faster mm-hmm. without sacrificing any of the things that i need to put in in order to make the song good so it's it's definitely um there's a balance there yeah i i think i err on the side of taking that time to put things together and be organized and actually this nafel song is a good example of that because one one thing that i like to do every time i work on a song is i'll just level balance all the tracks sometimes they're already level balanced when i get them but other times everything is you know volume each track is kind of normalized to be as loud as possible so you have to balance the faders and i like to do just an export of that balanced level to have a kind of an objective ear to Hmm. like a a starting point and that way like if i'm getting frustrated i can just a b where i started and see you know am i really my sculpting too much or uh, is this like way better than what I started with? And a fun thing about this Nafel song is, and I find this with uh, technical bands a lot, people that are good players and good at choosing tones, I feel like the final mix is not too different sound-wise from just the recorded stems. Mm. And I've heard other people talk about this before, but when you spend a lot of time in pre-production and really carefully choosing tones, like kind of record with the mix and the master in mind and pick tones that are closer to your final vision then you just don't have to do as much sculpting so then the mixing work is more about just kind of balancing everything and doing the dynamics compression which is what we're going to be talking about today so good nice segue segue there (laughs) yeah that's um that's very true carefully picked tones will work well i mean a lot of the stuff that we tend to do in a mix a long mix is correct for issues that occur during tracking right Mm -hmm. it's how do we cue these different parts to make them fit so if those tones were already chosen with that mindset yeah you have to do a lot less corrective work so that that's cool that's always actually a good feeling when you just start pushing up faders and your everything's already sounding kind of good Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you have yeah. to be, we, we were talking about this offline, right? You have to be a, a bit humble to not be like, I need to EQ every track on this <laughs> because yeah. that's my job. Like, no, that's not your job. And that takes a lot of uh, humility and experience to not reach for stuff like compressors mm-hmm. without a purpose in mind. So yeah, kudos to you for uh, for not being scared by your mixes sounding close to what the pre-production track sounded like. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, you know, once again, kudos to the guys in the fell for being really good at what they do. It just makes the mixing work all that much more enjoyable and fun. So yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm excited to uh, hear the new track. Yeah, man. It's been I'll a while with since you, you guys have put anything out, right? It has. Yeah. We've been working on um, a few singles, maybe some collabs with vocalists, which will be fun. Oh, and, uh, uh uh, definitely a new EP. Sounds good. All right, man. Well, what are we talking about today? Speaking of reaching for extraneous tools and yes. trying to turn some knobs just because you feel you have to. Exactly. Well, uh, as you might have heard from last episode where we talked about dynamics processing, we are going to be talking about that again today, but this is more of a deep dive. So get ready for part two of dynamics processing. Yes. And that's happening. Part now. one was not enough. It could not contain us. But in part no. one, our goal was really to lay down a foundation of just to like, what do we even mean when we say dynamics? How do we define it? And what are some musical terms for why we care about dynamics? So we talked about things like punchiness being a dynamics turn, sustain being a dynamics turn, mm-hmm. roundness and fullness being a dynamics turn. So that was uh, what episode 65 was about. So if you if you're if you're not quite sure what dynamics are and you haven't 
heard that episode, go back and listen to that one first. On this episode, we're going to dive a little bit deeper and start talking about some of these specific tools and specifically compressors, what the controls are, how to set them, and when to reach for them, which is really the most important part. That's kind of what we were just bantering about is like, when would you reach for a tool? Well, it's not just because compressor is a tool I always I always put on every track. That's not a good reason. You right. need to have a good reason. In fact, I remember I was watching some video, I think it was a Nolly video, and he was saying that he tries to make every decision in his production with the mindset of his favorite producer or mixing engineer sitting in the room with him and him having to do this mental exercise of explaining his decisions to his favorite producer. So when he reaches for a plugin, he has to think about how would I explain this to my favorite producer? Why am I doing this? Which I think is a really nice framework because all of us, you, you said it, Ben, these, these tools are too cool and too accessible and they're yeah. too fun to play around with. So there's a tendency, we all go through this and so we're like, I got this new plugin, I'm gonna put it on every track. <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna turn it till the lights shine and I'm gonna just assume it makes something better. And that's not always the case. So where do you want to start with compressors? Maybe we can do a little bit of review and then yeah, get into the controls. So yeah, um, compressor is probably the most common dynamics processor that you guys have heard of. Uh, normally, whenever we're talking about uh, processing anything in music, the first two things you hear uh, outside of volume changing, uh, removing faders, is EQing and compressing. So. This is pretty common, but we'll talk about you know what a compressor is. So uh, a compressor is a tool that you can set it in such a way that at a certain threshold, uh, when you eclipse that threshold and, and sound going through your compressor is louder than this threshold, it will reduce the output amount by a certain fraction. So let's say, uh, actually we'll just start with a compressor set to a one-to-one -one ratio. That means for every uh, decibel of volume that goes above this threshold into a compressor, uh, we're going to get one decibel of audio out on the other side. So in essence, we're not doing any compression. It's basically in bypass mode, except not really. Um, so we can go from there and set a compressor to a two-to-one ratio. What that means is for every one decibel of volume that's going above a threshold out of a compressor, uh, you're getting an increase in volume of only half of that. It's being cut in half. So we're only going to get, let's say we set our compressor threshold at negative 10 decibels, and we're sending a signal through at nine decibels. So it's one decibel over that uh, threshold. So what we wind up with on a compressor set with a two to one ratio, is we wind up with nine point, uh, negative 9.5 decibels. So it reduced that output by half of the volume. And we can change uh, the ratio to be even higher than that, three to one, four to one, five to one. I mean, really you can go up to even in infinite, uh, which is what a limiter is. But before we talk about limiters, we'll just stick with the compressors. Anything you wanna add yeah. to that? Yeah, so so as a, as a recap, we also talked about my my analogy is like you have a mix assistant who's a robot, and you can program mm. the robot to do different things. The robot just has its robot hand on the fader. So there's really four parameters. You just described two of them. There's four parameters we care about with compressors. The first one you mentioned is threshold, which is just the robot says, hey, okay, I, I'm ready to turn this fader down. When should I start turning it down? Well you start turning it down when you see the signal cross the threshold. That's what you said. So yeah. that's that parameter. The second one you mentioned was ratio, which is the robot saying, okay, well, fine. When the signal crosses the threshold, I'll turn it down. How much do you want me to turn it down? That's the ratio. So the higher the ratio, the more that robot is going to turn down the fader. Then there's two other parameters we care about, which we haven't mentioned last week, or at least if we did, it was very briefly. There's attack and there's release. There's a couple of others, but these are the big ones we're going to focus on, the big four. So what is attack and release? Well, attack is the robot saying, okay, fine, I'm going to turn this fader down when it crosses a certain threshold, and I'm going to turn it down by the ratio amount. How fast do you want me to do it? 
That's the attack. How fast after the signal crosses the threshold are we attenuating it? And then the release yeah. is how fast are we um, are we going to uh, raise the fader back to its original position once the signal has dipped back down below the threshold? So these are the four things really we we need to to describe to our robot, which is really we're describing the compressor, in order for it to be able to act. So that's great. You have anything else to say about attack and release before we get into why we care about these parameters and what they functionally mean? Um, you said it really well, but maybe another way to think about it is uh, attack and release is how quickly your robot is reacting to the signal. So maybe, maybe you've got a really sluggish robot and he just can't react just as quickly. I think that's helpful to think of it in that way, at least when I'm using a compressor and dialing it in, I, I think of the attack and release as more as reaction time. Yeah. More than anything right. else. Yep. It's an adjustable reaction time. So why do we care how fast and how slow mm, these fader... Question. It's not a fader adjustment, just to be clear. We're saying it's a fader yeah. adjustment because functionally what's happening is it's acting like a fader, but actually all of this is happening inside the compressor. The compressor takes an input signal and it's attenuating what's coming out of the compressor. So you're not going to, just to clarify, you're not going to like see your fader moving in the DAW. That's The processing is happening inside either your physical compressor, if you have a guitar pedal or whatever, or it's happening, you know, inside of the plugin. Um, so why do we care about these four parameters? And you know, feel free to start with with any of them. Maybe start with threshold if 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 you want, since that's where we started. Sure. So, I mean, threshold's important because we need to we need to let the. Okay, I'll I'll pose it to you in a different way. So why would we care about where we set a threshold? instead of maybe turning up our ratio higher why would we do so if you think about it maybe on a surface level i can get the same result from a compressor if i lower my threshold as if i turn up my ratio and and you might think that at uh at first thought but we're adjusting two different things we might still get to the same output level but we're adjusting two different parameters. So by ad adjusting a ratio on a compressor to a higher ratio, we're getting a more um, aggressive result from that compressor. It's acting in a more aggressive way so that audio is not affected as much up to a certain point. And then once your audio reaches your set threshold, then it's going to act way more aggressively if you have a higher ratio. So that's why you would think about adjusting a, a ratio control versus a threshold. And maybe you would want to adjust a threshold control if you like the aggressiveness or lack of aggression of your compressor. Maybe it's acting in a light way, like a 2 to 1 ratio or less, uh, 1.5 to 1 ratio. You can do weird things like that with some compressors. Um, but maybe you like that just gentle compression, uh, but you want it to act on your audio or your source audio that's going in at a lower or louder volume. So that's why you would adjust the threshold versus adjusting the ratio. Yeah, that, that's a, a, a good way to, to describe it. I would say also that, um, basically restating it, um, that the threshold this determines when or how often the compressor is doing something, whereas the ratio determines how much it's doing or how aggressively yeah. it's working. So for example, if you have, if you set your ratio very low to two to one, so you're just attenuating the output a little bit, but you can set your threshold low enough to where the compressor is working all the time. You can picture yeah. all of your audio is going above the threshold. So the compressor is constantly applying that two to one compression, and that might give you some effect. Whereas another way to do this, you could set your compressor to 10 to one, a very high ratio, but you set your threshold, maybe maybe your uh, signal is very dynamic. It has very big peaks. So you set your threshold such that only the biggest peaks are being compressed at all. But, but they're being compressed heavily by a ratio of 10 to 1. 
And these two strategies, you're right, you might be able to get a similar hmm. output signal out of the compressor, but they will do different things, and we'll talk about what they will do. Um, I have a couple of examples we're going to play. Before we do that, talk a little bit the same way about attack and release and what the considerations are there. Let's use drums, for example. Let's say I want to attenuate my drums with a compressor because they're peaking all of my uh, preamps. The signal is just too loud, so I want to effectively bring down the volume. And one way you could do that is just turn down your gain, but let's just say that I want to attenuate them with the compressor. That's a specific uh, like effect that I want to use the compressor to get that kind of an outcome. But then in a different way, maybe I want to use uh, a compressor to put on my master bus to react to the music in a way that sounds pumping or that sounds kind of musical to my ears that just gives a little bit more humanity to it. Hmm. What do you think so, about Yeah, you're kind of two? jumping to the conclusion there of why we would use a compressor, some reasons why, what, some some cases or yes. scenarios when we would reach for a compressor, which is totally valid and I think we're, we're definitely gonna go there. Uh, maybe it's a good time to get into the example so you can hear what we're talking about, but just at a high level philosophically, if you have a slow attack, think about what that means. It means you have some sound and the robot is slow to turn the fader mm -hmm. down, which means some of the loud sound is gonna get through unattenuated, and then the rest of it is gonna get attenuated. So nominally, theoretically, a slow attack should let through a burst of sound before the compressor grabs it. A very fast attack time might not let any sound through it the compressor grabs it right away and pulls it down and similarly with release well release is a is a bit of a different animal and i'll show you why but with release if your release is very very slow well then the fader has been pulled down and it may not even make it up in time for the next sound or the next transient and so you that ends up being one effect if the release is very fast then basically the compressor is releasing uh, the, uh, the volume fader very quickly and that can lead to some distortion sometimes. Not necessarily mm. bad, could be a very good thing. So I think the easiest way to do this is to listen to a couple of examples. So I just have a snare drum hit here and these examples are not designed to be like dialed in compressors. They're designed to be hmm. very exaggerated just to give you an idea of what we're talking about when we talk about, well, a big burst gets let through the compressor before the compressor grabs it versus it doesn't. One important thing I'll point out, and this is going to come into our tips at the end, which is why people just come here for the for the 10 minute tips, Ben, but we have to make them listen through 40 minutes of gibberish <laughs> before we give them what they want. Exactly. But one of the tips when you're setting a compressor is to level match everything. So this is a tricky game because you're changing the dynamics of the sound. So you can't necessarily trust your meters. You have to really, it's one of the only times I'll say, use your ears is really the, the be all end all advice because you need to make sure that your compressed sound and your uncompressed sound hit your ear with roughly the same perceived level. Yeah. And this is going to be important because you'll see when we talk about why a slower release is actually good for sustain, that might be counterintuitive. Uh, but we'll talk about why that is. So let me play a couple of examples here. So here's our snare drum. Just a cold snare drum with no heart. <laughs> One more time. And visually, if you're watching this on video, you won't be able to see my screen, but visually you can picture what a snare drum hit sounds like. There's a big transient and then a very kind of rapid decay. There's a little bit of sustain there, but not much, not like a guitar string, right? Where it would sustain, right. ring out for a long time. So I'm gonna play that one more time. And then my first example is going to be a fast attack time, a very fast attack time and a slow release. Okay. And we'll see what that sounds like. Here's a regular snare drum. Here's fast attack, slow release.
So, interesting. You can hear there, first of all, it sounds kind of hideous, but <laughs> what's happened is, if we were to describe this, that initial snare drum hit has a much more pronounced transient. You can f- kind of feel the sharpness. It's sharper. Mm-hmm. If you can feel the stick attack. The second one, we've smoothed off the compressed one. We've smoothed off that sharp attack. It doesn't feel like as sharp of a stick attack, but you can really hear the bloom, the sustain of the drum get unnaturally exaggerated. It's kind of a shh, shh, instead of a ch, ch, right? Mm-hmm. To me, yeah, it sounds so weird and unnatural. I, I think that you typically wouldn't or you wouldn't compress a snare drum in that way and that's why it sounds so odd because we don't hear snare drums compressed in that way but it's it's great for an example it almost has this like blah kind of sound to it where the front of it is sharp and compressed like you said but the volume is also very squished and then you almost get this bloom where the snare drum almost gets louder uh at the tail of it more so than the transient because the transient is so squashed together so it's an interesting way to treat something yes and that is exactly the point i was trying to make which is to say that why would a slow release increase sustain like this the reason is that because of the level matching that i've had to do to get the sound to be a comparable loudness i had to turn up that compressed snare head by 9.5 decibels to on on the on the track fader to get yeah. it to sound a comparable loudness to the uncompressed one. And think about what that mm. means. So we've, we, had, we had a signal that had a very sharp transient and then a fast decay. We've taken that now because our compressor is working so fast. It's squashed that transient down very small. And then as it's releasing, I have this kind of more of like a sausage-shaped uh, signal. But yeah. what I've taken is I've taken that signal and turned it up by 9.5 dB to get the loudness back roughly where it was. And so what I have now is a bigger sausage looking thing as opposed to my initial snare drum uncompressed, which was a big spike and then a rapid decay. So listen to that one more time and listen for two things. One, the stick attack and how sharp that initial transient is. And then two, the sustain. How much sustain is there? How much ringing of the drum in the uncompressed hit versus the compressed hit? And then we'll move on to the next example. Okay. So here's uncompressed. And here's the compressed. Okay, so hopefully that you can kind of picture that in in your mind's eye. The next example is a fast attack, fast release. So now again, we're getting that, we're gonna clamp down really quickly on that initial transient. But also, very quickly, we're going to release it. And we'll see what that sounds like. First, I'll play the uncompressed one again for cleansing of the palate. <laughs> Compare that to the, to the uh, slow release one. So there, you get a similar smoothing or dulling of the transient, but because the compressor is releasing faster, you get less of that kind of sustain. And you still, it still sounds mm-hmm. more, a little bit more natural, a little bit more like a snare drum. And I haven't had to turn it up as much to level match it. This one, I had to turn up 6 dB to get roughly into yeah. the same loudness level. What do you think about that one? So this in effect... What you're doing with the compressor in this example with the fast attack and fast release is uh, you're just basically controlling the transient to be quieter in a way. Yep. I mean, you're still getting that effect of squashing the transient out and making that that initial hit feel more impactful at a lower volume, but you're still not getting any tail from that. So it kind of sounds boring to me. Mm-hmm. I I, I yeah. can't say that the I can't say that the fast attack slow release sounds great on a snare drum, but it sounds at least interesting and more exciting than just a bland snare hit or the fast attack fast release. 
Yeah, no, they all sound like garbage, that's for sure. But you're absolutely <laughs> right. Because part of what we want typically in a snare drum, boom, is the transient, is the stick attack. And you're right, with the uh, fast attack, fast release, we've basically just taken away, we've shaved off that transient and made it less exciting. And we haven't gotten the the benefit of the sustained tail either. So yeah, yeah that's what we're doing there. My last example with the snare drum is slow attack, slow release. Okay, and with this one, what you're going to hear, again, picture what's happening. The initial transient, I've set it, I've set the attack slow enough to let that initial transient through. But then the compressor is going to clamp down on the rest of the signal. So our signal visually, if you were to visualize it, we had our initial transient, that's going to stay the same. But now we're clamping the rest of the signal down even more. So what you're going to get is, is actually an accent, accentuation of the transient. It's going to be even spikier. Not necessarily better because we do want a snare drum to have some sustain. But you'll hear that it's, you get a, it's really spiky and sharp now. So hmm. check this out. First, the uncompressed palate cleansing snare, and then <laughs> we get into it. Sounds like a whip. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So. This is just examples of how attack and release can shape the sound. And we're going to get into, you know, how to actually do this and why we would actually want to do this. So uh, do you have anything to add on those examples before we move into what, why we would do any of this? No, let's, let's just move straight into why. Let's move, okay. Let's move to the why. So as we said, you know, before reaching for a compressor or any tool, we want to think about what are we trying to do here? Why are we trying to pull up? Why, why would we choose a compressor over some other tool? And so I'll, we'll give you just a couple of examples and maybe we can just go back and forth here. Um, I, I'll just reference that last sample I just played. If I want to make something spikier, that's the best way I can describe it, pointier, with sharper transients, and just, um, I'll give you an example, like an acoustic guitar. Let's say I have an acoustic guitar and a busy track and it's doing more of a rhythmic function. It's almost like a tambourine, mm. you know, it's the person strumming, there's a pick hitting the strings and I don't want it to like ring out and I don't want it to muddy the rest of the mid range. I really want that pick attack and just that spiky percussive sound. To me, when I think I want it to be spikier, that's a cue to reach for a compressor. Okay, and in that case, I would do something like set a slower attack, just like we did on that last example, so I can let those initial transients get through, but then clamp down the rest of the signal and get out of the way. That's an interesting way of thinking of it. Uh, I'm just trying to wrap my head around spikier and compressor, but that's that's interesting. interesting yeah. Way of thinking what do about you it. think? I mean, like, what, if if does that is that? I'm surprised actually that that wouldn't be a use case for you. Yeah, when I think of when I think of using a compressor, I think of well, I think I could think of a few different scenarios, but I think I I think of smoothing things out a lot of times when I think of compressor. That's or getting one. a uh, getting another or getting a more yeah sustain definitely. I think of when I want to add sustain to a part, I think I need to reach for a compressor. And your drum, your drum example is a great example of this because a lot of what's missing from uh, just raw recorded drum tracks in the context of especially modern rock or pop is that very musical sustain you get from just slathering drums in a lot of compression because it just kind of helps to and you can especially do this. I don't want to get ahead of uh, ahead of ourselves here, but you can use a compressor to kind of make the drums fit the sustain that's appropriate for whatever song or beat meter that you're working in. And basically make your your shells in particular, like your kick drums, snare, toms, 
uh, make those hits last a certain note value that's appropriate and sounds good with the rest of the music. And I and so that's one thing that I think of a lot. Totally, totally. So that's another another great example of, of why you would want a compressor is if you want to bring out the sustain. And even as like yeah. a guitar player or bass player, a lot of times, you know, people will have a compressor pedal in their chain. And when you hear about how artists use a c- compression in their guitar chain, that's often what they say is like, I'll kick it on for the solo so I can get, a, you know, really yeah. get good sustain out of my notes or, I'll, you know, I'll kick it on for the legato parts. And so that is another excellent reason when I think I want more sustain, I want to bring out the sustain or the natural ringing of this instrument. I also think of reaching for a compressor. Um, Another reason is just level control. If I have mm-hmm. a very dynamic part, like a vocal performance, I may want to reach for a compressor when I'm saying, you know, some words really jump out at me and some words are really kind of pulled back. That's another cue that I need to level yeah. a little bit with a compressor. And there I'm kind of using it as it was originally designed, right? The original design intent, which is just as an automated level controller so that's a third reason so we have uh some make something more spiky less spiky bring out the sustain and uh level control those are three good reasons i'll give you another one. example with uh with vocals it actually is a oh, yeah. weird one that you wouldn't think of for making something spikier but if you have a very aggressive track like a hip-hop track very commonly for a hip hop track, I would set a slower attack time. And the goal there is the same as with the snare drum. I want the consonants to really mm-hmm. hit the mic. I want the consonants to get through the compressor and then the compressor to act on the rest of the uh, the words. I'll give you a fourth reason to reach for a compressor. Yes. And uh, you can feel free to disagree with me, but sometimes I'll reach for a compressor if I want to pull things forward or push things back. I specifically will do this a lot when um, dynamically compressing the room mic or room mics from a drum kit. Because one thing that I've noticed is that if you push a, a room, a noisy room mic through a lot of compression, by adjusting the attack time, you can make that space feel larger or smaller. So with a fast attack time, you're getting more of a upfront in your face, a feeling of the instrument is closer to you. And with a slower attack time, you get the sense of things are farther away. The room's mm. bigger. Interesting. Kind of a thing. Yeah. And, I, and I think that that's an extreme example with the room mic, but you can do the same kind of a thing uh, with a bass guitar, with a guitar, with a vocal. It's a little bit more subtle though, I think. Yeah, that's a level two trip uh, trick for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. Um, yeah, we talked about ad roundness. I'm just looking at some of my other notes here. Let's get into how we do this. So just going through our examples, when I want to think about making something spikier, I think about that snare drum. To me, making something spikier means a slower attack with yeah. a release that's adjusted as appropriate. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean. This is a, a very cool tip that I learned from UBK, actually, Gregory Scott, who's a compressor wizard. He designs compressors mm. uh, and compressor plugins. And this is a great little trick. I don't think he invented it, but I learned it from him. Uh, it's that you can, it's easier for you to hear transients at lower volumes. There's, I don't know, I'm not 100% sure on why this is. It could be something to do with the Fletcher-Munson curves or it could be something to do. There is kind of like a compression effect that the human ear and brain impart on louder sounds. There's kind of like a Mm -hmm. natural compression that our brain applies. So when you turn something down to very quiet volumes, you can really hear those initial transients spike out a little bit faster. So the way I like to set things for a spikier sound is I start with my attack as fast as it can get and I turn the ratio way up, like 10 to one or higher. And then I will bring my threshold down until the compressor is really grabbing the peaks, but not so much that it's working all the time. I still want it to be releasing. So I want the compressor Mm -hmm. to be pumping. 
And then I turn my volume down on my, my speakers or my headphones. And then I start increasing the attack time. And you'll hear that transient start popping through. Mm. And usually once I get my attack time to where I want it, well, then I can set my ratio to something more reasonable and my threshold to something more reasonable. That's typically my method for how to get something spikier. Interesting. Very cool. I might actually steal that trick from you. <laughs> <laughs> so when I go about setting a compressor, the attack time is the very last thing that I touch. Oh, okay. And I guess I'll go into the other, I'll go into another point of um, how to make, how to make something sound more musical or how to adjust the sustain on a note uh, using a compressor. And I basically do the same kind of a thing that you do with dialing in the transients, only I'll, I'll choose a threshold where there's a lot of the compressors really working pretty heavily on my source material and then i'll just play with the release time until i get something that and it depends on what i'm looking for if i want a lot of sustain i'm looking for uh the release to not come up so quickly if i want kind of a vacuumy sucking effect uh, which i don't really look for that often but if you were looking for something like that you'd set your release time to be very quick so uh, your compressor would be pulling away from that material, uh, the source material, very quickly. Um, but to make something sound musical, I'm kind of just listening to how that release is playing along with the rest of the music. Uh, so I might even have a metronome on with it, or 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 just pay attention to you know what is the meter of the song that I'm playing with. And I can't say that I set that to necessarily be like a quarter note or an eighth note. I don't really think of it in that calculated of a way, but I just kind of set it to whatever feels the most natural as far as that release time letting up off of whatever source material. I mostly am doing this with drums, but you can do it with any instrument. Yeah, and I, that's that's pretty much how I do it. And, and I think what you said there is valid. Specifically, Think about what we're trying to do. In this, in my example, when I want to make something spikier, I want every hit to be spikier. So I need to make sure that my release time is fast enough that the compressor has fully yeah. released in time for the next spike. Yeah, if it hasn't, point. then I'm not getting my desired effect. And so oftentimes that means kind of setting it with the song. Uh, some compressors will also have an auto release function, which is a bit confusing, but that's a, a very useful thing. What what that does is it sets, it, it makes the release time faster for a louder peak and slower for a smaller peak. Hmm. And that can be a, a cool thing to use as well. But yeah, other than that, like I said, slow release or uh, very fast release times can introduce, they can sound grittier and harsher and like more distorted, which can be cool for bringing out something like if um, a, a gritty vocal track or some kind of dirty drum that you want to really, and sometimes that distortion can be cool. It can yeah. help things uh, jump out of the mix a little bit. Not, so don't be afraid of that. Not just distorted, but it also sounds way more aggressive to have mm -hmm. more aggressive. a fast release. Yeah. And that yeah. can be like very cool on like screaming vocals or like a, even a very intense like hip hop track where you have like a lot of words. That just sounds really cool to me where the vocals are just kind of flying at you a million miles a minute. It it it's you guys got to play around with this. If you haven't done this yet, you've got to try doing these tricks on a vocal in particular with a compressor cuz it's amazing how just adjusting these few settings totally bring out a different character in somebody's voice. It's very mm. cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So similarly with uh, with sustain, uh, typically we would if uh, we talked about how do you get more sustain, there you would want to go with a faster attack time. Or likewise, if you're trying to control the the overall dynamics and the level, well then your whole problem, the reason you want a compressor is because this, there's big spikes and little spikes and there's a, it's a mess. So you want to grab those big spikes early and pull them down. Presumably, you would go with a faster attack. And in general, as we said, a slower release will sound more natural. It'll be less obvious that there's a compressor at work. Just picture your 
slowly moving a fader, you know, <laughs> it's less obvious what's happening. But if it's too slow, again, you can you can have the problem of the previous loud sound affecting the next loud sound and that's when yeah. things can start getting you'll see you, the groove you, you can lose the groove of the song if it's drums or whatever else now that we know what all these components are i kind of want to talk maybe very briefly about you know how would you go about setting up a compressor on whatever source material it is do you do you have a specific method that you use vadim to set all these parameters or a specific order well it really depends on what i'm going for so my first question is what am I trying to do? And then I think about, first of all, I have a couple of different compressor tools that I like, as I'm sure you do. I think about what am I trying to do and then which tool is appropriate for that. And I've spent too many hours sitting there <laughs> trying all my different compressors. I have a little notebook in which I write down what each compressor sounds like. And oh, wow. so I, I've, I've learned my tools, which I recommend you do. So first thing is, what am I trying to do? Second thing is, which tool am I going to use? And then how I set it, you know, whether I set the attack first or the release first or whatever, really depends mostly on where I'm going. But very often, the attack will be the first thing I set, which is interesting because it's the last thing that you set. Um, but the that attack is, so is usually driving what I'm trying to do, whether it's a fast yeah, attack I see or that. a slow attack. And then from so there, I will say I'm that with the else. no, that makes sense, and that's valid. I will say the caveat to my method is, I I always have a specific method that I set my compressor, no matter what I'm doing with it. Okay. But I always start with my attack and release at the twelve o'clock position, just mm. so it's kind of a more neutral. And um, what I'll typically do is I'll set my ratio first, and then start messing with the threshold, and then I'll see based off of how uh how the music's being affected at that threshold i'll start adjusting the ratio do i want more compression do i want less compression and then i'll kind of fine tune my um threshold and then from there i'll adjust the release and attack but that's just kind of my way of doing it there's yeah. no right or wrong way yeah, it, no right just as long way. as you know what you're doing yeah cool all right, so a couple of quick notes here towards the end. We're wrapping up here. Uh, just some, just rapid fire. If you got any, feel free to jump in and add them. Sure. First thing I'll say is a a distorted guitar amp is already the most aggressive compressor that's ever been invented. <laughs> yeah. So if you're uh, if you're compressing your distorted guitars, why? Right. Why? There reason. could be a reason. There could be a reason. Why? What's what's your reason you would do it? So. Am I jumping ahead here? But uh, I limit my guitars a lot. Oh, okay. Which is, as we learned earlier, that's just, uh, limiting is basically an infinite compression. It's a brick wall. Uh, the reason being is I have a very specific limiter that I use that I can adjust the blend uh, that will let some... It's basically a parallel processor, so it will let some unprocessed signal through. But what I'm trying to do with that is uh, control any transients from a guitar pick that might make that guitar pop out, mm. or basically to to level off the performance and to clean up any muddy low end that you'll get from guitar chugs. Mm. That's why I tend to. So I will limit heavy distorted guitars, but I'm doing. I mean, at max, I'm doing maybe three decibels of gain reduction, and most of the time, I'm doing one or less. So it's just, I'm just cool. touching the peaks, basically. Yeah, just basically. touching it to rein it in. Good reason. That's all I'm saying is you got to have <laughs> a good reason. Don't just pull them up. Um, yeah, dynamics are generally a good thing. When we when we pull up a compressor, we're affecting the dynamics. When I recorded, I recorded a real piano once, it was the, and it was the first time I had ever done it, and I mic'd it surprisingly well. And I remember I was, I just was like playing around with like trying to compress the piano, and finally... I bypassed all of the compression. I was like, this piano sounds good. I hmm. like that it's dynamic. I, it works well. Like, what am I doing? It's so, <laughs> dynamics can be a good thing. So don't, uh, don't pull up a compressor on, on every track. Uh, yeah, going along with that too, um, I've noticed that some vocalists are really good at controlling the volume of their singing voice. Yeah. And in that situation, maybe you only want to use a compressor to kind of bring out some different flavor like we talked about the attack times and things like that but you really don't need to 
use a compressor to control the dynamics of their voice. So it's just, it's just good to be humble about uh, what you're listening, humble enough to say, is what I'm listening to already good enough that it doesn't need to be adjusted with any of my tools? Yeah, basically. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And this is this is not a trivial task. I mean, no. I've been working for a couple of years now on trying to train myself to hear compression a little bit better, and I've gotten a lot better. And I still have a long way to go. Uh, when I hear somebody like you know UBK talk about it, he's uh, he's working on a whole different level it's a subtle beast compression and you have to just keep working with it and keep trying it uh to uh to get to where you need to go it's i feel like it's less intuitive than eq and it's a very cool tool so uh yeah play around be patient and ask yourself what am i trying to do from time to time Mm -hmm. i totally agree with that vadim and i think I've heard this said about different things when it comes to learning audio production skills, but I definitely think it's true of compression where your uh, your knowledge base and understanding, it goes up in a step, like, um, like a step ladder hmm. levels of increment. So you're not, uh, you're not going to understand the concepts or have another breakthrough and being able to hear compression and kind of just like rolling up a hill. It's more of like, you understand a certain level and then you'll be there for a little bit. And then all of a sudden the next level makes sense. Mm. And so I, the reason I bring that up is uh, just to encourage you guys to stay positive and keep working with it. Even if you feel frustrated or you can't figure something out, because oftentimes you'll be stuck at a certain level of understanding until you just have enough experience where, Oh, it finally makes sense. I get what I'm hearing and, and that's totally fine and okay. Yeah. Well said. All right. Well, we have a special gift for you guys. If you go to resources.diyrecordingguys.com slash compression, there's a little compression cheat sheet you can download, just a little two, three-page cheat sheet that's going to summarize some starting point settings for you. Um, Unlike EQ, you know, for EQ, it's always a joke when people have presets like, Shimmery mm-hmm. vocal preset. It, that's a very strange thing because what if the vocal you recorded was already super bright, right? You can't really yeah. use EQ in that way. But with compression, you can a little bit. You can at least get starting points on attack and release times that are going to give you a framework for a certain uh, function. So if your function desired function is to level control, well, there's some starting presets that you can at least get going with. So we're going to give you guys that. So again, just uh, check the show notes or go to resources.diyrecordingguys.com forward slash compression. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Vadim. Yeah, man. Likewise, we slayed it in two episodes and I'm sure it's not the last (laughs) we've talked about the topic. We didn't even talk about limiters or expanders or DSers or gates or multi-band compressor, so still uh, still a lot of ground to There's cover There's at least here. 12 more episodes left. I'm just kidding. Yeah, of the podcast, <laughs> right, before we, uh, before we give up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> at least 12 more. You heard it here at first. Least. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. It's been fun. And until next time, it's the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself. If you're enjoying the podcast, you take yourself. a minute to leave a rating wherever you See like up. to listen to it. Peace. Or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers, nice. and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.